Well, on this Resurrection Sunday, I want to invite you to open with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we will be looking at verses 8 through 13. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 8 through 13. As you go there, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever invested a lot of time into something, a lot of energy, only to realize at the end that it was a complete waste of time? Maybe, I know that some in our midst, and including myself even, maybe we've spent a few years pursuing a degree that we thought would be worthwhile, only to find out that we can't get a decent job with that degree. Or maybe you spent three or four years getting some undergraduate studies in order to get into some program, and you can't get into this program anymore. What a waste of time, right? Or so you think. Have you ever put your heart or your soul into something only to find out that no one really cares? No one really appreciates your effort. We have many mothers here in this room. Mothers, how many times have you spent cleaning your house, right? Just polishing those floors and putting your sweat and tears into preparing dinner only to experience this. Your kids run inside the house with their dirty shoes, mud, all over the place, and they boldly announce to you, we're not hungry. How do you feel at that moment? No, no doubt we have similar instances in our life. Maybe it's not in our home, maybe it has nothing to do with our careers, but no doubt we face similar instances. Friends, unfortunately, sometimes we are also tempted to feel the same in our service to the Lord, where we are tempted because the reality is that anything done for the Lord in serving his people never goes unnoticed, but we are tempted to feel this way, loving Christ and serving him. And yet it goes unappreciated, it goes unrecognized. No doubt our Christian walk is very hard, it is very difficult. We sometimes wonder, really, if we just alone in the room asking, is it worth it? Right? In other words, we, we may be teaching our kids at home how to love the Lord. We teach the gospel to our children. And then we come to a place where we see absolutely no results, and we're wondering, is this even worth it? Is this program even worth it? Or we prepare this spiritual meal for somebody, like a Bible study, or maybe a sermon, or maybe to share with our neighbors, and, and at the end of the day, we find out that nobody is hungry. Nobody wants to eat what you prepared. Or maybe you've been praying for your kids, and maybe you've been praying for your families, and instead of, instead of, Winning them to Christ, they become your enemies. And you wonder, is it worth it? You're tempted to quit. And so this morning for us, the message that Paul offers to his beloved son, Timothy, is endure, friend. Keep pressing on in serving and loving the Lord. Keep going. Second uh, Timothy is Paul's last letter that he wrote. He knows that very shortly, perhaps a few months after he finishes writing this letter, he is going to die, and he's going to die for the sake of Christ. He says, the time of my departure has already come, and I'm about to go. And so he is calling Timothy in his last letter as this last plea, Timothy, endure. Verse 9 of chapter 2 suffer hardship, endure. Verse 3, suffer hardship. He says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of the gospel, but suffer for the gospel. I mean, friends, this is not an exciting proposition. He's not inviting you over to dinner. He's not inviting to you to enjoy something. He is saying, suffer, come and suffer. Press on in serving the Lord. Suffer for the sake of 
the gospel. And Paul here knows that Timothy, of all the people, he needs this encouragement. And therefore, in chapter 2 here, he gives this encouragement in the form of three illustrations. And he says, first, you, Timothy, Christian, you are to be like a soldier who's not distracted in his service, but strives to please the one who enlisted him. Don't get distracted by everything that's going on. Be focused on serving Christ, but not only as a soldier, also as an athlete, follow the rules in order to win the prize. Keep competing. And number three, he said, remember that you're also like a farmer who needs to work hard. Work hard in order to receive your crops at the appointed time. Christianity, Christian service, is not a walk in the park. It requires diligence. It requires you to play by rules. It requires you to please the one who called you into his service. That is our Lord Jesus Christ. And so in verses 8 through 13, he then motivates Timothy and he says, press on. Press on. Let us read, beginning with verse 8 of chapter 2. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffered hardship or suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. For this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. It is a trustworthy statement. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, he will also, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Friends, we who have been shown great grace and mercy, right? We were here just two days ago on Good Friday celebrating the death and crucifixion of Christ and we were reminded of the, the immense grace that has been shown to us. We who have been shown this grace and have been adopted into his family, we may come to a point where we feel defeated and we feel deflated. We may think that serving the Lord is a complete waste of time. That happens to the best. And this morning, Christ wants to restore us and to motivate us to see the privilege of loving and serving him. And we here in these verses find three motivations, exhortations that Paul gives to Timothy, basically by bringing himself as an example of great service to the Lord. Number one, I want us to see that Paul is calling Timothy to press on in service by remembering the risen king. Press on in service by remembering the risen king. And we're going to spend most of our time this morning focusing on this one thought. Remember the risen king. This is the only command that is found in these verses, 8 through 13. Remember. Remember. Not just do something, but remember. Remember Jesus Christ. I mean, think about this. Do you find it strange that Paul, Apostle Paul, he tells Timothy, Timothy the pastor of a church in Ephesus, to remember Jesus Christ? That's something that you may tell your children, right? Something that you may tell uh, a newborn Christian. You need to remember Jesus Christ. You need to remember your Lord. But Paul turns around and tells that to a pastor in the church. Tim, don't forget Jesus Christ. I mean, think about this. Timothy, we find out from first and second letter that Paul wrote to him, Timothy would face numerous hardships that would tempt him to quit in ministry. He was generally persecuted for the gospel. Um, there was false teaching in the church that he needed to correct. We know that Timothy had personal illness, some issues with his stomach perhaps that may have, um, you know, prompted him to say, you know what, maybe I'm not cut out for ministry. This is too hard. I'm just going to 
I'm just going to do something on the side, right? And so in effect, to encourage his son in the faith and to endure all of these difficulties, whatever trial you're in, Paul tells him, Timothy, the solution to remaining steadfast and to pressing on is to remember the risen Christ. And, and friends, here notice that he is not calling us to remember uh, specific facts about Jesus Christ. That's not what he's calling us to, right? Just memorize some verses. And if, when, when, when you go through difficult times, then, then just make sure that you rehearse those verses. That's really good. But the point of rehearsing the verses and the point of remembering the facts is that these facts and these verses, they what? They point you to the person. The person. And that's what Paul is calling Timothy. Remember him. Remember Christ. In other words, keep Christ central in your life. Remember why you do what you do. Remember who you've been called by. Remember who enlisted you as a soldier is the call. I'm sure we've, we've all experienced, I certainly have, right, the opposite reality. When I dwell on earthly things and pursue what the author of Hebrews calls the pleasures of this world, I'm not in a position to love and to give up things for Christ and, and to serve him, right? When I pursue, I don't know, careers, possessions, prestige, when I, when I think about the recognition from men, right, when I am tempted and envious of what the world calls prosperous and well-off, then I begin to stumble and I begin to run off course. Right? And, and that's, that's true of all of us. When we forget who enlisted us, we stop wanting to please the one who enlisted us. But when you focus on Christ, as Paul tells Timothy, when you keep him central, all that he is to you, all that he has done for you, then you find that one, you find that person, that Jesus Christ, all satisfying, guess what, in the face of all temptations, in the face of all trials and oppositions, and you want to serve him. When you're on fire for the Lord, when you know, when you're again and again convinced that he bought you, that he rescued you, that you are his, then guess what? You're going to go all out for Jesus Christ. But what specifically does he want Timothy to focus on? There are two things he says in verse 8. Pay attention. Look at your Bibles. Uh, verse 8, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead descendant of David. In this letter, Paul refers to Christ Jesus 12 times, this, this phrase, Christ Jesus. In, in four chapters, 12 times, Christ Jesus. And only once here in 2.8 does he reverse the order, Jesus Christ. The rest of the instances, it's Christ Jesus. Here, it's Jesus Christ. And I don't think it's accidental. Jesus Christ, that corresponds to these two great components of the gospel that he says, according to my gospel, what is the gospel? That Jesus was raised from the dead and that Jesus is the descendant of David. So Jesus corresponds to raised from the dead and Christ is the descendant of David. Christ. And he, so he says, remember that Jesus is risen. And today, friends, is as good as any day to remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, we do this every time, right? But today, we celebrate what society refers to as Easter. We refer to it as, as the resurrection. And Easter means all things to basically all people. But what do we celebrate every single Sunday and especially today? What do we celebrate? Who do we celebrate? We celebrate the risen Lord. That's who we celebrate Notice the command, again, is not to re remember the resurrection. Like, when we greet one another, when you came into to this house, right, you didn't greet one another with saying, happy resurrection. And that, that's not what you said. Well, if you said, that's okay, but let me correct that. The reason why we don't say happy resurrection is because we, we say Christ is risen, right? We point to the person. That's the person whom we celebrate during this event called resurrection. Jesus is alive. The verb here, risen, 
means that he was raised in the past and continues to exist as a risen one. He, he died and he rose again, and now he continues on forever into eternity as the one who is raised. He is living. Like, here's the, the picture that he wants you to see. All the rest of the dead stay dead. And Jesus is the only one who came up out of the dead. The rest stayed there. Jesus is now living. And, and think about this. When Paul wants Timothy to think about Jesus, he doesn't want Timothy here to think and to have this picture of a crucified Jesus, but of a risen Jesus, glorious in all of his might, conquered death, one who conquered death, one who is victorious. And then he adds the second component is this person, this Christ is risen, and he is the descendant of David. I mean, of all the things Paul could have said, could have put right here to remember about Jesus Christ, he adds this component. Why? Why? Well, if you've been with us over the course of the last year and a half as we've been dealing and studying systematically the gospel of Matthew, we realize that this title is very important, right? It's very important. Why? Because this one who is risen from the dead is the one who was prophesied from the old. He would be the son of David who would come, who would live and die and be resurrected from the dead. He was the Christ. He is the anointed one. He is the promised king. And Paul wants Timothy to remember that this Christ is the king who reigns today and who will reign, who will establish his throne on the earth when he will return once again. Timothy, church, remember the risen king. Now let's, let's take this thought and, and think about some of the implications. I mean, the fact that Jesus is the risen king has lasting implications for us as it did for Timothy. If we understand this truth, of the resurrection, and believe that Jesus is alive today. Jesus is no longer dead. He is alive today. Then our belief and our behavior will be affected. And this is what, where he's going with this. It's not like I just want you to keep in mind Jesus, but since Jesus is alive, here's the implication. First of all, because Jesus is the risen king, if you've placed your faith in Christ, then your sins are completely forgiven and dealt with. That's the reality of resurrection. Resurrection, friends, it means successful sacrifice. It means complete atonement. Because Jesus did not stay in the grave. What would happen if Jesus was in the grave? Then we would conclude that, aha, he went around and saying that he died for someone else's sins, but why is he still in the grave? It means it means he had sin. That's why he's still in the grave. But Jesus was resurrected according to the scripture on the third day for our justification. Romans 4.25 says, He who was delivered over because of our transgression and was raised because of our justification. He was proven to be innocent. His sacrifice was proven to be for or on behalf of another as we studied last Friday. Friends, Jesus provided a required payment for sin and thereby satisfied the justice of the Father and rose from the dead. And since Jesus is alive, his work is complete. We are no longer, Scripture says, under God's condemnation. We are accepted in the Beloved. We sing no wrath. No wrath remains for us to bear. Why? Because he bore it all and was raised as a proof that the Father was satisfied. We come here today, gather here on this special Sunday, not because we're required to show up to church in order to please God, appease Him, in order to maybe earn some brownie points with, with Him. Right? That's not why we're here, is it? No, we... Coming to church is, is great, and, and doing 
good things and charitable deeds is, is commendable and it is right, you know. Reading your Bible is very necessary. It's important. Serving in various ministries, it's good, right? But we don't do these things in order to feel better about ourselves or in order to somehow add to the sacrifice that Jesus offered to the Father. We, we, that's not why we're here. That's not why we serve. That's not why we do these things, even the things that are commanded in Scripture. That is not why. No, we have complete and perfect sacrifice offered on our behalf because Jesus is alive today. We are accepted in him. There's nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing you need to do except believe that he did it all. Now, what's up with everything else? Why are we here? Why do we read scripture? Why do we work? Why do we obey commands? Why do we do what we do? Friends, our response to this risen Lord is to live for him. That's why we do what we do. He bought us. And therefore, it's a great motivator for us to go and serve him because he is alive. We love, 1 John 4, why? Because he first loved us. Because he first loved us. Don't get those two things mixed up. The reason why we love Christ is because he first loved us. And knowing this truth, then we press on. We endure, we suffer hardship for him, we preach the gospel, we train our kids, we come to church, we read scripture. Why? Because we have a risen Lord and he lives on. Will you then not devote yourself and speak of this risen Lord to others? Absolutely. Now, second implication is because Jesus is risen king, he has all power and he has all authority. Jesus, friends, single-handedly destroyed death and opened up the way to the Father. He didn't need anyone's help. He did it by himself. Therefore, as Mike read for us, all authority, he says, all authority belongs to me both in heaven and on earth. And if he's the risen king, is there anyone in the entire universe who deserves more attention, who deserves more devotion than this risen, living Lord? The answer is no. And that's what Timothy or Paul wants Timothy to know. He deserves your allegiance. Be encouraged. Press on in your service to this great king. He enlisted you. Now, third, because Jesus is our risen Lord why should you worry and fret about what happens to you in this life? Think about this. On the path, right, to the cross, Jesus endured pain and he endured suffering. He, he ended up dying. That's why he was resurrected. And as our representative, Jesus knows what it's like to suffer in this world. Those of you who came here with burdens, those of you who are suffering, he knows, he can sympathize. It says, we have this high priest in heaven, Hebrews 4, who can sympathize with our weaknesses. Man, he knows that we're at times like Timothy are very timid. Right? We're not bold. He knows we lack this boldness and confidence to stand for Christ at times. He knows that often we are discouraged that sometimes we run away from fellowshipping, either in life groups, Bible studies, even church, because we're entertaining certain sins in our lives. And sin always draws you away from fellowship with believers. He is aware of that, and he is able, and he oftentimes comes, always comes to comfort, to bring you back in. When we undergo suffering of any kind, Friends, we are walking on a well-worn path. Jesus walked that path, and none of us will suffer as much as Jesus suffered already. None of us will. And that's encouragement for us. 
Yet when we remember that the risen Lord, right, we, we are reminded, what, that he is victorious and that he will take us through whatever trials because he triumphed. Jesus Christ is risen. He is the risen king. And so instead of worrying, Paul urges and encourages Timothy because he knows that he is serving this living king. There's another implication here of this truth, that Jesus Christ is the risen king. Because he is the risen king, how we conduct ourselves in this life matters. Think about this. Because Jesus is alive today, and he is here among us, how we live our lives matters greatly. Right? What we do today has eternal significance. Look with me at verses 11 through 13. 11 through 13. Since Jesus is alive, he's aware of everything, right? Nothing is hidden from this king. One day we will stand before the Lord, we will give an account. So whether you're a believer in Christ or you still don't believe in Christ, Friend, take notice of what he says here in verses 11 through 13. He says this, it is a trustworthy statement. You can take this statement to the bank. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we die with Christ, this points to our identification with Christ in his death and resurrection, points to a spiritual reality that Peter or that Paul speaks of in Romans chapter 6. If we die, this verse doesn't speak of us dying, I don't know, for Christ in martyrdom, for instance. It represents a spiritual reality of your faith in Christ. Dying to self, dying to your sin, dying to your former manner of life and being resurrected to live for Christ. Because look what he says, if we died, this, this past tense here, it, it refers to that. If we have died with him, it should be understood as a past event, not something that will happen in the future. And if it is true of you, then you will live with him. That's a promise. If you are a believer, if you've died with Christ, you will live with him. You live with him today. You have been created new and you have this hope, the sure hope of being with him forever. And that's confidence for us believers. We have this hope of being with him forever. If you endure, this is present today. So if you have in the past, if we now endure, we will also reign with him in the future. If we endure, if you press on, if you continue to bear Paul's message to Timothy, if you continue to bear under persecution and affliction, you will reign with him. Why reign? Well, because he is the king. Jesus is the king. That's what he says in verse 8. He's a descendant of David. It means Jesus is royal. And we who have been rescued from the domain of darkness, we don't come from royal family, yet we're promised that we will reign with Christ if we endure. Those of us, friends, who have died with Christ will continue to endure all the way to the end. And that is the promise of Scripture, even though at times it seems very difficult. How in the world will we ever survive? But the, through the encouragement of the word, we will endure. But that's, that's a conditional statement. If you endure, you will reign. If you endure. But there's a warning, friends. Verse 12 at the end, if we deny. If we deny. What does that mean? Well, if you consider the cause of Christ unworthy, if you consider Christ unworthy of your allegiance and unworthy of your endurance, he will deny you. The message here is if you reject Jesus Christ, you will be rejected. If you abandon the gospel, the good news of salvation, Jesus will in fact return the favor. He will deny you before the Father. We looked at this verse 
briefly when we studied Matthew chapter 10, right? He who confesses me before men, I will confess them before the Father, Jesus says. But he who denies me before men, I will deny him before the Father. This verse here, verse 12, it doesn't talk about our temporary denials as with Peter who was ultimately restored but it speaks of your lifestyle and the general trajectory of your life. Are you denying Christ today? So the question is, do do you love Jesus? Do you love, do you serve this king? Do you press on in faith when when things are difficult? Or, Or maybe Jesus is just absolutely not important to you. He's not on your radar as someone to worship. Maybe you don't care about him at, at all. And friends, if you're here this morning um, and you find yourself in this category of don't care about Jesus, I don't love him, I don't serve him, he's not in, of interest to me at all. If, you, if you're in that category, we are glad that you're here. But as one who is called to speak the truth and to proclaim the gospel of salvation, I want to plead with you this morning. The risen Lord is offering salvation to you. He's offering forgiveness of your sins. Jesus is alive, and because Jesus is alive, you can live too. Because without Jesus, you are dead. The encouragement that you need to be hearing is come to him. Come to him because he will not turn away from you if you come to him by faith. If you repent of your sins, the promise of scripture is, I will forgive you your sins. That's why we're here. It's because we turn to Christ in faith and are forgiven. You can likewise be forgiven and have his perfect righteousness granted to you so that you too can be accepted. Not because you're trying to clean up your life. You have this little toothbrush and you're trying to clean up bits and pieces of your life and you're a complete mess just like the rest of us, right? No, he can give you, wash you with a fire hydrant, give you his own clothes that he earned and you can be made right with God. There's forgiveness in Christ. This offer goes out to all, but friend, if you do refuse to surrender to Christ in faith, if you deny him, the absolute reality of the Bible is he will deny you. He will deny you. Just as certain as the promise of forgiveness is to us, to all, so certain is the promise of condemnation to those who do not take him up at that offer. It's certain he will. Why? Because Jesus is the only mediator between God and men. And if you reject the only mediator, you have no other person to to represent you before God. You have no other lawyer to, to go and present your case because you're guilty and no one will take up your case. Why? Because everybody else, every other lawyer is just as guilty as you. There's only one. There's only one mediator. This, look at verse 13. Why? Why will Jesus reject you? Because he is faithful. Verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. You know, this verse is often interpreted as a po- in a positive aspect. I often thought of this verse in, in such a way. If, you know, we sin and are unfaithful because, you know, Jesus is faithful, he will forgive us. And that is absolutely right. 1 John 1, 9, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if you examine the parallel structure of this statement here in verse 11 through 13, then friends, this verse here is not meant to give you comfort. This verse is meant to instill fear. In other words, if you lack faith, 
And we're not talking about just being weak in faith. No, if you're an unbeliever, if you do not believe in Christ, then because God is faithful to himself, he will deny you. There are two promises in the Bible that God is faithful to. Number one, he says, Romans 10, 9, Paul says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a promise that all of us cling on to and saying, Lord, you said it. You said that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You're the resurrected Christ. I cling to that promise, and therefore, I believe in it, and God is faithful to forgive us. But there's also another promise. Verse 36 of John 3, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who does not believe in the Son does not have life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That's a, that's a promise. You are under the wrath of God, and he will pour that wrath out on you. If it's not on Christ, then it is on you. And God is faithful to both promises. And Christ is warning us of this severe consequence of rejecting Christ and not enduring for Christ. Why? Because he is alive. If Christ was dead, then we would just be wasting our time here, quite frankly. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, right? You are of most men to be pitied. Shame on you, right? We have no hope. But Christ is alive, and therefore those who believe in Christ reign and live with him. But those who don't, Oh, there are severe consequences, friends. I want to encourage you to heed the words of Christ. Come to him this morning. He is full of mercy. He's full of grace. He is compassionate. Lord, he is the living king, and you can live with him. So, church, see how Paul is encouraging Timothy to keep suffering, to keep enduring, to keep on pressing on in ministry. Why? For the sake of Christ, because Jesus is the risen king. It matters how you conduct yourself. Remember him. Remember that he is alive. Remember that he enlisted you. Remember that he has all authority. Pay attention and plead allegiance to Christ. Don't give up. Resurrection has implications of our life on our life now, how we love and serve. But secondly, Paul says in verse 9, press on in service by remembering the power of his word. Oh, there's great encouragement for us believers here. Press on in service by remembering the power of his word. Listen, friends, the reality is when we read verse 9, for which I suffered this gospel, this gospel that you're supposed to remember, Paul suffered for it even to imprisonment. When you plead allegiance to Jesus Christ, this risen king, you actually may be sent to prison. This reality here, it's hitting closer to home, especially after 2020. Some of us may be locked up sooner than we thought we would be. Paul's faithfulness to Christ and his mission resulted in his imprisonment. He could just not stop talking about Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes we, pray, we, we read about Paul and we say, you know, Paul was just this superhero, just amazing guy who never lacked boldness. He was always bold for the Lord, right? Was he always naturally bold for Jesus? No. When you go through the epistles, you find out that Paul's number one request from all the churches was pray that I would be bold. You, Paul? Yeah, Paul was scared. Paul needed to be encouraged in his faith. Paul needed to be encouraged in service to the Lord. Pray that I would endure. And the Lord always answered, which resulted in much persecution. He was beaten up. He was left for dead. And we find out here that he is locked up in the Roman prison. You know, Paul could have said, you know, this, this Christianity deal, I don't know if it's worth it. I don't know if it's, it's really hard. And some of you this morning coming here, you're hoping to be encouraged and there is encouragement for you in Christ. Yes, Christianity is hard. And some of us may think, man, it's too costly. 
I'm not sure if it's worth it. Preaching the gospel is pointless. Going door to door, you know, doing this with my kids, devotions and, and Sunday school, teaching kids in Sunday school and working with youth. Are you kidding me? There's no result at all. It's all pointless. In fact, you may actually suffer the consequences of it all. And that's exactly what Paul says, that I am put in prison as a criminal. I am treated as the one who does evil, an evil worker, literally. For Christ, I'm trying to love Christ. I'm trying to preach the gospel. I'm not hitting anybody. I'm not persecuting anyone. I'm being persecuted and I'm being labeled names. I'm being called names here for Jesus Christ. Is it all worth it? And yet Paul's attitude is what? It's completely different. He's not saying that. He understands that even though he's in prison, bound in chains, he says this, that even though this is true, the word of God is active. The word of God is not imprisoned. The word of God continues to work. Why? Because the word of God is the word of the risen king, and you can't imprison the word. You can't put shackles. You can't handcuff God's word. It's powerful. Remember, the power of the risen king's word is what he is reminding Timothy. Listen, the messenger may be bound, and he probably will at some point, but the message will go on. That's why he says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I will continue to preach. When you remain faithful to proclaiming the word, God will faithfully and powerfully continue to convert the hearers. It is guaranteed Guaranteed. What confidence, church? What confidence do we have? Because we have God's written word to proclaim the word and to expect that God will use his word through very weak vessels who can be bound and put in prison to continue his work of reconciliation. That is why we continue to preach the same message over and over again. Because we believe in the power of God that he can make people alive and not only to make alive, but to strengthen us as believers, to encourage the hearts of the hearers. Remember, the power is not in you. The power is in the word. The power is in the message of the risen king. So the implication then is we may lack mobility. We may be restricted to a certain place, but you can't hinder the gospel. As long as you proclaim the gospel, it will continue to go forth. That's what if you notice in Acts, in Acts, if maybe you've been reading through Acts or are planning to read through Acts, notice this phrase, the word of God, the word of God. And, and oftentimes Luke says the word of God kept increasing or the word of God kept spreading. The gospel kept going. Why? Because God, through his spirit, continued to work in the hearts of people because he can't be bound. I mean, you may lack certain resources, but you can't impoverish the gospel. You may lack certain education or, or knowledge, but you, that doesn't deplete the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Regardless of your circumstances, God's truth will go on, whether at church or at home or whether you're in the hospital encouraging someone or you're in prison or, and even if you're in the tomb, the word of God continues to go forth. When the word is spoken, it does not return void. But I want you to see the other side of the coin here as well. I think Paul is not simply saying that in spite of my circumstances, God's word continues to, to be effective, but also think through this. The circumstances, prison, and my persecution is the means through which God accomplishes his purposes. And not just in spite, I'll just continue to preach. But no, God has me right where he wants me. You may be thinking, why do I go through these hardships? Why am I in this marriage with an unbelieving spouse? Why do I have teenage kids who, who deny the Lord? Why? Why do I go through these trials? Why can I be like that family or this family or this sister or that brother? Just enjoy leisure. 
Friend, consider this, that God may have you right where he wants you because it is through you, through the means of this suffering that the gospel will spread and powerfully convert somebody. Paul was in prison and Caesar's household heard of the gospel, came to faith. God is sovereign over our circumstances. The call here is don't despise suffering. Don't despise trials. So why press on, friends? Knowing that the power is in God's word. Why not continue to to disciple our children? Knowing that God's word is powerful to change. Why not continue to teach Sunday school kids or or youth realizing that when we continue to proclaim the gospel, God is at work and will convert souls? I mean, will we not continue to persevere in counseling and in our life groups and in our Bible studies, regardless of circumstances, remembering that God continues to accomplish his purposes? Why why do you who lead us in worship continue to come here Sunday after Sunday and serving the Lord and encouraging the congregation? Why continue to lead the church in song? It is because when we proclaim the gospel truths through song, they encourage the church, they strengthen the church, they convert unbelievers. That's why. We must press on. Because Jesus is alive and because his word is powerful. And number three, press on in service real quickly by remembering his saving purposes. Verse 10, for this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen so that they also may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus. And with it, eternal life. Eternal glory, right? You know, verse 10 here, it it should bring us great comfort and encouragement. Are you encouraged just by reading this verse 10? You know, God has chosen a people for himself. And he will see to it that every single one of them will obtain salvation and eternal glory. These elect, they're here in this room. They're... In our Sunday school, they are in our youth group, they are in our neighborhoods, they're in our homes, they're here in this neighborhood around the church. They are all over the place, and God had promised to save them. We don't know who they are, but we know the promises, the promise of God to go and to save And as long as we're here on earth, God continues in this mission of saving people. You know, contrary to some, the doctrine of election is a great motivation to evangelism. Great motivation to evangelism. Even in the midst of suffering, it's a great motivator. Why? Because as long as you preach unadulterated Word of God, gospel, undiluted gospel. He will save people from their sins. You know, we sometimes have this title placed on us, the, the, the chosen frozen or the frozen chosen. That's not, that's not who we are. This, this doctrine here should empower us and encourage on to move for Christ because God ordained people to be the means through whom the gospel is proclaimed. And Paul says, therefore, therefore, for this reason, I endure all things because the word of God is not imprisoned. I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen so that they may obtain Salvation. That's why I labor. All things I endure, even imprisonment so that they may be saved. Is this not an encouragement for us to press on and serve the risen king? Absolutely it is. Christian wife, living with an unbelieving husband, continue to live in peace and show him the love of Christ. The kind that you've experienced. And maybe by your life and by your quiet demeanor, 
and the gospel that you continue to model and speak, your husband will be saved because God appointed people to salvation. A believing husband living with an unbelieving wife, same thing. Maybe you're the means. Parents with unbelieving children or siblings, are we losing confidence in God's power to save? Are we tempted to stop praying for our children or praying for our siblings? Are we tempted to stop sacrificing for them, enduring and serving the Lord by loving them? You who are living with unbearable neighbors, there are some in our midst. You who are serving our youth and see little to no signs of the gospel being received, are you tempted to give up? You who volunteer with our children, and as you run down the stairs here after your Sunday school class, and you're wondering, what a complete waste of time that was upstairs. Nobody, nobody listened at all. The encouragement here for us is to continue to press on. Why? Because we serve the risen King, and His Word is powerful, and He determined to save. He determined to save. Keep going. If He's alive, He will make people alive, and we are alive today. My hope, beloved, is that on this resurrection day, we remember not merely the event of resurrection, but the person. The person. Jesus Christ, the risen King. And as we remember Him and the power of His Word and His sovereign intention to save, that we would press on to serve Him, that we would endure that we would, if need be, suffer hardship for him and know and be convinced that it is all worth it. Because he suffered and we are included in his royal family and we will one day reign with him. To him, church, be the glory alone. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your sovereign and saving promises. You have a people, and you will save them. And you determined that we, these very weak vessels, would be the instruments through whom the gospel would be proclaimed to them. And so we pray, would you bless us and grant us endurance? May the image of risen King, our Lord Jesus Christ, be forever ingrained in our, on our eyeballs so that we would suffer for him, we would live for him because it's all worth it. It is all worth it. We don't get saved because we suffer for you and endure, but we suffer for you and endure because we're saved and we love you. Help us to keep these things in perspective. We pray and ask in Jesus' name, amen.